Welcome to Tool Talk from Exegetical Tools, where we discuss orthopractic practices and orthodox resources to help you rightly divide the word of truth. Really glad today to be with Dr. Owen Strand. Owen, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Travis. I'm glad to have I know when you say you're doing great, what you mean is I'm really, really tired right now <laughs> because you've been going a lot. You have a book coming out yes. very soon. Um, it will be out by the time our listeners hear this. It shall. And you are finishing up another book. Correct. Okay, so the book we're talking about mostly today is this uh, Edwards devotional. So you are you're kind of spanning two worlds here. I want to give I want to give people an idea of who you are if they haven't looked into your work. Associate professor of Christian theology mm-hmm. at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, um, where we are currently at right now in beautiful Kansas City. We are here. We're here. I'm glad you can can, can confirm that we're actually in Kansas City and not in the ethereal plane. Um, You you do a lot of things around here. Yes. Newly director of the residency PhD. That's right. Give us just like, I know this is not what we're talking about today. Give us a 20-second blurb about the residency. Yeah, thank you. The residency is just our residential uh, PhD component. So uh, all PhDs at Midwestern are technically modular. Uh, meaning students come in for basically a week at a time and do their class, and they're doing their work before that. But we have built out in the last few years, because we love, absolutely love residential education, we built out a weekly component for PhD students where we meet typically on Wednesdays. We have some additional uh, events and requirements of the residency, but uh, that's to, to give students that mentoring component and to train them in what it means to be a Christian scholar. So that's the focus of it. We have about 25 guys in it right now, including yourself, which is very exciting to me. We've had a very strong response to the residency. Clearly, students want that on-the-ground component. And so, man, we're just seeking to build it and grow it, and the Lord has been very kind to us. Yeah, yeah, Some, something like a 1,000 Ph.D. students in this modular program, but it's so good to have this kind of weekly connecting point. Yes. Um, that's been good. And, and one of the maybe unintended consequences, I don't know, maybe it's by design, is that rather than just being in guys that I'd be with seminar classes in, I'm with biblical studies guys mm-hmm. and theology guys and um, ministry Ph.D. guys. Yes. And so we got a lot of cross-pollination, which is kind of exactly what we're, we're going to talk about today. Mm. You are a um, Christian theology guy, love systematics. That other book you're finishing is an anthropology, in case you weren't aware. You know, I'm just reminding you of what yes. you've been. I'm a bit aware, yes. <laughs> having nightmares <laughs> about it, <laughs> waking waking nightmares about this anthropology book. No, I'm excited uh, for that to come out, Reenchanting Humanity. Thank you. B&H. Yes. Um, I really am. But today, the Jonathan Edwards devotional, always in God's hands, daily devotional. I was a little surprised when you told me there wasn't a an Edwards devotional like in print. Yeah. That's why do you think that is? I have no idea. I, I would imagine part of it is because the sermons of Jonathan Edwards have not been as culled as his philosophical writings. So when people in the Christian community think about Jonathan Edwards, they tend to think of one of two things, either Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, the sermon that was in a lot of our even public school English textbooks, typically in 11th grade, or they think of his philosophical writings on the nature of true virtue, on the end for which God created the world, on original sin, on free will. And those treatises, to be very clear, are masterworks from America's greatest philosopher and theologian, frankly. So I'm not here to, to down them. I'm not here to say they're unimportant. They're extremely important. But the actual reality of 
Edward's lived experience is that he spends the bulk of his week, the bulk of his life, writing sermons. Um, and so those sermons have really not been referenced much. They certainly haven't been read much, beyond just a handful of them, that is. Mm -hmm. And so in a project like this, Always in God's Hands, Day by Day in the Company of Jonathan Edwards with Tyndale House, what I was trying to do in part is show people that Edwards is a master sermonizer, a master preacher, and what you get in his preaching is both rich theology, but also invigorating spirituality. Mm. Uh, And so Tyndale House and I partnered up on this devotional because we believe that in the same way, you know, that Spurgeon's morning and evening is a great blessing to the church, in the same way that a, a year with C.S. Lewis, I think it's called, that devotional is, is a blessing to many people, tens of thousands of readers, in the same way that My Utmost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers has invigorated many Christians, and we could name other devotionals as well. We believe that Jonathan Edwards's rich theology and invigorating spirituality will actually be a tremendous help to the normal, ordinary Christian man and woman just like you and me. Well, yeah, so you, you had been working with Edwards for a long time. The, yes. the Essential Edwards Collection came out 2011? 2010. 2010, okay. Yeah. So true story, you're talking about just the average, everyday, um, faithful man or woman. My mm-hmm. grandma, I was on a, a, a family trip vacation. You know, my wife and I are in that stage of life where we go like six different places every holiday, right? Mm. So I had a little downtime, and I my goal was I'm going to get this this red. And they're just, you know, at that time they were five little little books, and now That's they're right. compiled for convenience. Um, right. And so I'm sitting there reading, and my grandma just goes, so, so what you reading? And, and you got to understand that my grandparents um, – hadn't probably ever read anything but Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, but they're also reading um, some pretty pretty classic literature. And so, you know, they're not necessarily um, getting into a lot of theological works, but they appreciate good writing. They appreciate good thinking. And so I come back. I had left the books there. I went out to go visit some people, came back there because we were staying with them. And um, she had picked it up and had read like half of one of the little volumes. And the next time I came by, she had two copies she bought one copy for herself. Wow. I thought that she had mine still. I was confused. And then she had bought another one. She's like, well, I'll give it away, away to somebody. Oh. So I have promised Grandma Paula that she's going to get a copy of this devotional. Um, because, and a shout-out. Shout yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, she deserves definitely at least a shout-out. Um, so, Because I've thumbed through this, and I think she's going to like it. I, I intend to read this next year. Mm. I went ahead and cheated. I went to my birthday. I went yeah. to my wife's birthday just to get, you know, a sense yeah. of what's going on here, right? Um, it wasn't quite fortune cookie status of, you know, some kind of direct word from the Lord um, yes. to me other than the biblical truths imparted therein right. and applied rightly. Um, <laughs> it's a whole other conversation. We're, sure. But, sure. Um, but I appreciated that. So the typical page, like April 12th is, is a, a good paragraph from any of a number of mm-hmm. Edwards's works, and then a little bit of explanation, like mm-hmm. in the Essential Edwards c- connection collection. But really, I mean, you're going straight to the jugular with what does this mean for a 21st century mm-hmm. Christian living everyday life in this world who knows the same God Edwards knew yep. and has the same Bible Edwards had? Was that... That's very different from your normal writing. Yeah. What was that like, getting into just this daily life? 
Wow. Yeah, it was um, it was a definite exercise for me, honestly. Uh, like you say, something I had not done. In the Essential Edwards collection, these five little books Doug Sweeney and I did for Moody, uh, ba- basically a decade ago, um, we were working spiritually and devotionally with Edwards's material. So the Lord in his kind providence used that writing to prepare me for this devotional mm-hmm. project. And then those five books, as you alluded to, have since become one standalone volume. Just this past May was published by Moody as well. Sweeney and I are the authors, and that's called The Essential Jonathan Edwards. So if somebody wants an overview to the life and theology of, of Edwards, that's, that's the book to go to. Right. All that prepares me, as I say, to write Always in God's Hands. Uh, this is a book that does feature some historical material. Mm-hmm. So I spliced in 52 uh, devotions, 52 days out of 365, of course, that are about different aspects of Edwards's life, because I wanted the reader to have just a little variation. But yes, in general, about 300, over 300 of these days are basically a paragraph of Edwards and then three paragraphs from me explaining and unpacking and applying his words, and then a Bible verse. And yeah, you don't have a lot of space. So um, I had to learn pretty quickly how to write uh, about 500 words of devotional material. But it, but here again, it wasn't that hard because <laughs> Edwards, again, is known as this high-flown theologian and philosopher, but as I was reading him afresh, he's kind of a life coach too, which is really what a pastor is in some sense, you know, Um, meaning in his sermons, but also in his broader corpus, Edwards is trying to help normal Christian people like you and me live a godly life. Um, He is a very God-centered man, and his, his burden of his ministry is that the people underneath him would be God-centered as well. So every facet of their life would be seen in light of the greatness and the sovereignty and the kindness of God. Mm. You know, it was a challenge, frankly, Travis, to write um, (laughs) hundreds of devotionals. I underestimated how difficult it was. It really pushed me. But it was a tremendous joy uh, to be in the body of work of one of... uh, history's greatest theologians and pastors. And I think readers will see that though Edwards may have this reputation of inaccessibility and, um, you know, unattainable profundity, he's a normal Christian like us who loves the Lord, and his his writings will help us love God more. Yeah, yeah. And I I hope that, you know, our listeners who are are engaged in exegetical work and on some level— pastors, scholars, students, um, will enjoy something that will get them in a little bit the mind of Jonathan Edwards, feed their souls daily, um, and I, I, I suspect they're going to find out that this is the kind of thing that you can really encourage someone else with to start thinking the deep things of God like we talked about. Um, yeah, can I say a word there? Please. I think Edwards is a great bridge figure, actually. He, in other words, he pulls those up who may not have had a ton of rich theological preaching in their life. Mm-hmm. So so he will challenge you. Let's be very clear. Uh, he will challenge you. He challenges me. Um, and I, I spend a ton of time studying Edwards, and he's still—his vocabulary can be challenging. His mm-hmm. theology is really deep. So, so But he's not inaccessible, just to right. be very clear. Um, so he will pull up those who want to, to 
dive into the deep things of God, to use that yeah. phrase you just did. I love that. But then Edwards is brilliant, and those who, frankly, are scholars and are pastor theologians and are those who are reading a lot of theology, I think they as well mm-hmm. will find a lot in, in this kind of material. Um, and they will see both the deep theology, but then the, the challenging spirituality that I think can help some of us who study these things for a living get out of our heads yeah. and remember that this is all about living doxology, glorifying God on a daily basis mm-hmm. um, in, in the, in the moment-by-moment experience of the Christian. Yeah, orthopractic, right? Orthopractic. That's, that's, that's one of our words for today, <laughs> O for orthopractic. Mm. So we can't be on the Exegetical Tools Tool Talk podcast and not talk a little bit about Edward's exegesis. Mm. Uh, so we're, we're not going to be digging into his um, explanation of particular texts in always in God's hands, mm-hmm. but I want readers to know when they're, when they're getting these things, what they're getting, where he's coming from. You mentioned uh, his sermons have not been as widely celebrated, as widely read, no way. and I suspect that you, uh, you decry that as a, a deficit in our study of Jonathan Edwards. Oh, we... man. When you, when you actually dive into the sermons of Edwards, um, you see that there is just gold uh, mm-hmm. glimmering before you in both a theological sense and a spiritual sense, both. Because um, Edwards is this really strange hybrid, okay? He he is as smart as the smartest professor you ever had in your college or university or seminary experience, but then he is a very passionate pastor. Mm. He devotes himself to the shepherding of souls. That's what he wants to do. That's what he does for the vast majority of his life. That's what he's training to do even before he enters the pastorate. He is raised in New England royalty. Of course, Edwards lives from 1703 to 1758 in in the American colonies, the New England colonies. And uh, he's raised in Timothy, Edwards' home. Timothy is a graduate of Harvard. He's a brilliant man. And then Edwards' maternal grandfather is Solomon Stoddard, who is one of the greatest of the American Puritan preachers. So Edwards, in the way that a lot of us in America and in the 20th century, 21st century, training to be athletes, you know, yearning to be athletes or entertainers or whatever, Edwards yearned to be a pastor. Mm -hmm. So all that to say, that's really important to know about him. Yes, he's deep philosophically and theologically, but he's a pastor who loved, who exulted especially, to get into his study and craft sermons Mm -hmm. that are theological and spiritual masterpieces. So yes, we can talk more about his his exegesis and hermeneutics, but that's the baseline that people need to understand him rightly. He's not fundamentally an ivory tower professor um, uh, separating himself Mm -hmm. from the people of God so that he can think out his his geekery, his, his nerdy thoughts. Uh, he's a shepherd of of souls, not a perfect pastor, not a perfect man, has his serious flaws and sins, but that's the burden of his life. Yeah. So there are those who would use the word puritanical mm. in a very uh, negative sense. Mm. Um, they would maybe think of strictness and legalism and, and asceticism. They, If they're thinking about theology and preaching and exegesis, they, they might be thinking of long, monotone, technical explanations. And then, like we've discussed, you get into 11th grade and you read Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, and you may not think monotone, Hmm. but you definitely think harsh, 
right? And, and that's kind of you got this play on words here with the the title, of the devotional, always in God's hands. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned the preface. You know, he's he's much more than just this discussion of wrath, although it's biblical. Could we riff off that a little bit, but talk primarily about how did he get from the text hmm. to his sermon, and did he do it in a way that um, a biblical studies scholar today would or could approve of? Yeah, what a great question. You and I could sit here for a long time and talk about this one, because it's really a fascinating one in terms of Edwards in particular, in a way that's that's uh, that you find as well, for example, in the writings and sermons of Charles Spurgeon. Like, mm-hmm. how? what's the alchemy here? What exactly takes place as Spurgeon's reading the text, and then what happens from there to the production of his sermon? Because he has his own deal, right? Mm-hmm. He has his own hermeneutical hyphen theological deal, uh, alchemy, that he is working to produce his sermons. That is not exactly, let's be honest, with both an Edwards and a Spurgeon, that's not exactly the way we train pastors today, that I train pastors here at Midwestern Seminary, uh, to preach. We talk a lot today about literal um, exegesis and then verse-by-verse exposition. It's the, probably the dominant model in conservative Baptist and evangelical circles, and I'm thankful for those those two models, those two things that I've mentioned. I, I, I stand by them uh, and, and think they're sound. But Edwards, Edwards is up to something more complicated than that. Jonathan Edwards is most properly what we would call a doctrinal preacher from the biblical text, meaning he sees himself as having the duty of taking the key doctrine in a given verse. He usually preaches just one verse or even just part of a verse. That's his normal method. He sees himself as having the burden of taking the key doctrine from that text Mm -hmm. and then expounding it to the people from that text and then applying it uh, to his people's lives, that theological truth, so divine providence or the cross of Christ or uh, heaven's beauty uh, or all sorts of other themes we could talk about, journey through the wilderness, you know. Edwards has four major moves he makes in his hermeneutics that Doug Sweeney, uh, my dear friend and co-author on other projects, has codified, especially in his book, Edwards the Exegete, with Oxford University Press, great book to pick up if you want to un- better understand Edwards's theology and preaching. Um, there are four major moves Edwards makes. He makes canonical. He does canonical exegesis, so he's interpreting Scripture by Scripture, and I'm just moving quickly here for the interest of time. Interprets Scripture by Scripture. He does Christological exegesis, so he interprets the text especially in light of the love of God for his people shown in uh, the, the person and work of Jesus Christ. He does redemptive historical exegesis, thirdly, uh, which means that he interprets a text in light of the broader meta narrative of Scripture, God making a covenant people for himself. This one, of course, is related to the previous one, uh, the second and third. There's some, some porousness here that we admit, and yet these are, these are separate categories. I think Sweeney is right. Uh, and then fourthly, Edwards does what we could call uh, moral exegesis or spiritual exegesis, uh, in the medieval period, that would be called tropological exegesis or hermeneutics. And in that sense, he is applying this particular text in its moral weight, uh, bringing that to bear on the life of a Christian. So Sweeney has argued those are the four major facets of Edwardsian exegesis and hermeneutics. And I think, I think as I read Edwards, I think he's right. I would simply add uh, in there 
uh, and Sweeney has it embedded in that scheme, but biblical theology is a big part yeah. of that. And we got at that when we talked about meta-narrative, but in a way that a lot of preachers would be shy about today, mm-hmm. Edwards does not simply believe, in other words, he should take these four verses, this pericope, and really just camp there. He thinks he should, but he thinks he is not only justified in, but called to go to the Old Testament, if he's in the New Testament, Mm -hmm. uh, to make his point, to see how the Bible develops his theme, or if he's in the Old Testament, go to the New Testament to develop his theme. Yeah. So this is kind of a question of where and how we draw boundaries in subject matter, right? Mm -hmm. Because you would say he's trying to bring the whole counsel of God to bear, but he's, he's not. By necessity, we have to delineate, at least by subject or by theme, strict expositional preaching, puritanical expositional preaching, if we want to put it that way, to, to lift the term and apply it to something different today, would say the boundaries are in the subjects brought up in this text. Mm. And maybe I can include a little biblical theology for the express purpose of understanding its use in this text. Yep. And often that means biblical theology up to this point, right? Because it would be wrong to, you know, push on Paul what John sees later, mm-hmm. um, these kinds of things. But Edwards is drawing the boundaries a little differently. He's mm-hmm. going to take this idea in its setting in all of Scripture, but he's still got to draw the boundary somewhere yes. because he's only talking about the wrath of God and sinners in the hands of an angry God. And mm-hmm. we see only, you know, we recognize that's a broad category of the wrath of God. So how, so I know that the answer, if we make this a yes or no question is uh, no, but now we need to ask, why is this not giving short shrift to the text itself? Yeah. Well, I am not here to say, and I don't say in my writings on Edwards, that his method and the resulting model is exactly what I practice myself. I mean, yeah. I, I preach a good bit, for example, and I just to be very clear, in terms of me, I'm sure many people are wondering about this, not, but uh, I don't preach exactly the way Edwards' preaches. Mm-hmm. I, I'm influenced by Edwards' preaching. Um, and I would say, I'm about to teach hermeneutics for the first time here at Midwestern Seminary. I'm going to teach it in January 2019 in a, in a week-long J-term at the MDiv level. And I think the model I've been noodling around on what exactly to call my understanding hermeneutically mm-hmm. uh, of our interpretation. And I think I would say it's literal hyphen theological. Mm-hmm. Uh, so modifying, in part because of Edwards's influence, um, our common usage of the word literal to express to explain our hermeneutics. So in contrast, for example, in the 20th century and even the 19th century to liberal Protestants who interpreted texts, uh, I think you'd say allegorically or figuratively and found in them what, whatever they wanted to, to find would be the critique mm-hmm. of that, that camp. Um, conservative evangelicals emphasize the literal meaning of the text, which was a very important thing to emphasize. That's sometimes understood as fundamentalistic or something like this, but man, if you don't take the text at its word, you you are casting yourself into confusion and certainly your people. So I believe in literal exposition of the text, but there's something more there uh, that the Puritans do. You keep mentioning the Puritans rightly, because that's Edwards' tradition. That's Mm -hmm. where he comes from. 
and and the Puritans feel free to make spiritual and theological connections in the broader canon, in what we would call biblical theology, and Edwards does that um, in in great measure in his preaching. All this to say, I think we box ourselves in if we only teach literal exegesis. We do teach it. That's that's the foundation. But we have to recognize, uh, per the contributions of folks like Kevin Van Hooser and the theological interpretation of Scripture, uh, per the contributions of the biblical theology movement, Brever Childs and many others in the 20th century, leading into figures of the current day like a G.K. Beale, uh, many others we can mention, D.A. Carson. You take all of this together, and then certainly I work in systematic theology. I'm not fundamentally... Uh, uh, an exegete. Uh, I'm not fundamentally a biblical theologian, though I draw off of those two groups, and I believe those are the first two layers Mm -hmm. of uh, a faithful interpretation of the text. I'm at the third level. I'm at the systematic theology level, which means that, all this to say, we have a lot on the table right now. table's about to break here, Travis. But when I approach a text, I believe I should interpret it literally, to the extent that it calls for me to interpret it literally. And then I should interpret it theologically, meaning I understand that the Bible is a whole, I understand canonical exegesis, I understand Christological exegesis, all things being summed up in Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm meaning when I'm saying there's a theological sweep to right. Scripture that is... Okay, now we're, now we're going in here, my friend. That is just as important as mm. literal exegesis. It's not that one is more important than the other. Right. It's not that we do one or the other. I like theological, you like literal. I think a properly evangelical hermeneutic has to be literal and theological. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I want to think that those who are listening are what we would call believing readers. I mean, they're not just trying to get at Paul's nuance here. You know, they they want to understand how this relates to ultimate reality. Yes. You know, they're, they're coming to the text— understanding that there are consequences to what they discern it to mean yes. because it actually is truth. Um, and so if it's all truth and it's all God's truth and it's harmony in Scripture across the canon, yes. of course we want to dive as deep as we can. When he uses this particular phrase, is, you know, let's get rhetorical. Is he trying to use that in a sarcastic way even? I'm a friend of mine doing some good research on sarcasm in Paul's letters. Of course, that matters, and it seems like it's that microscopic level. You know, you're saying there are like kind of strata here yes. of these levels. Um, but okay, I can I can say either he's being sarcastic or he's being forthright, and that's an important question because he either does or does not mean that statement right there. Right. This is incredibly important microscopic stuff, and yet on one hand, as a believing reader. I have the rest of the Bible, and so whatever is at stake in his sarcasm here most likely doesn't upset some major piece of my belief, right, at the microscopic level. Because if he's not actually saying what I used to think he was saying there, someone else probably says it in Scripture, right? Not that these things are unimportant, but at the same time, what he does there, whether or not he's being sarcastic, um, ironic— you know, how's he using the phrase Israel of God, for instance, in Galatians 6? Important questions. Yes. Um, all Israel in in Romans 10 or in 11. Um, important mm-hmm. questions that are going to then, okay, let me make sure I'm I'm 
questioning the basis of my theology, yes. right? There's this, you know, hermeneutical spiral. We're familiar with all that kind of stuff. My thought for the, the benefit of reading Edwards' theology, certainly philosophy, but even his, his sermons, his commentary, um, for those who believe in a historical, grammatical, literal, theological kind of a hermeneutic here, yeah. is that as much as he speaks rightly of God's word, he is setting boundaries. You know, you said orthopractic, but also orthodox yes. resources. He's setting boundaries for what this text right here can and cannot mean in some ways. Yes. Or the stakes of what it does or does not mean. But Edwards is, let's be clear, we're talking about Edwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, this isn't just my thoughts yeah, uh, sure. or, or our thoughts, though we're, we're delving into that as well. Edwards in particular is going to be... He does have bounds in terms of his biblical theological grid, as you say. Mm-hmm. So if he's preaching on uh, the justice of God, that's that's really you know the setting there. That's that's norming mm-hmm. his comments. He believes that he shouldn't start talking about you know the love of God or something, or, or or he shouldn't introduce an idea that contradicts the biblical testimony. But he is going to be, um, I don't want to use the word looser, but he is going to to be to to feel more freedom. Mm-hmm. To go outside of, for example, this particular epistle or this particular Old Testament book and its presentation of the justice of God, he's going to feel very free to plunder all the canon mm-hmm. um, from a biblical theological uh, uh, perspective, right. an early one. Um, it doesn't exactly match the 21st century understanding in, in biblical theology circles, but it's close. It's yeah. very close, and it has. It, we have a lot to learn from mm-hmm. from Edwards. So. Against um, a hermeneutic that would say, if you're preaching Mark, you got to stay basically in Mark, you know, mm-hmm. and Mark's treatment of, let's say, the justice of God. Sure. Edwards is going to say, no, 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 this is one Bible. I can go Old Testament. I can go New Testament, other texts. Uh, I should be bounded by the theological concept here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in that sense, Edwards pushes us in a helpful direction. Uh, I think, though, we should be—I think we should do two things here. I had professors like Kostenberger and, and many, Seifried and others uh, in my training, Carson, and they did teach me to be very sensitive to the immediate books and authors' presentation of the subject in question, yeah. Mark's understanding of justice, in other words. But I also benefited from uh, folks who, including some of those I just named, who, who would also push me to be more theological mm-hmm. in my interpretation of Scripture and go beyond simply Mark's understanding. And that's something I affirm. I want to be careful in, in doing that, but I'm going to talk in a sermon, for example, if I'm talking about Mark on justice, as I keep saying, I'm going to talk about um, uh, quickly, probably, Old Testament understanding of justice, and I'm going to talk about how justice uh, is, is fully realized in the New Covenant. In other words, <laughs> contra the way... Edwards is sometimes pictured, his understanding of sinners in the hands of an angry God, of the wrath of God against sin, is not lessened in the New Covenant, it's actually heightened in the New Covenant. Revelation is far more terrifying in its depiction of the exercise of divine wrath than anything found in the Old Testament. So we need to rightly understand that theme, and we need to understand how all the Bible teaches these doctrines, and in our preaching in particular, we shouldn't be shy about making these connections, I, I believe. Right, right. I want to distill this. We're talking about Edwards as an exegete, 
Um, obviously, you know, different time, different place, a bit of a product of his surroundings in that way, and yet so representative of the best of that time period that he's going to have enduring value for us to read, and especially as he talks about ultimate truth. He's going to have lasting value for what we read. Um, we've kind of we, we've been a little all over the place, but it's been good. Mm. I enjoy it. Mm. Um, Edwards was a little bit that way. It seems he was. Like. He, he didn't. There were there weren't many topics he didn't want to talk no, about. That's totally true. Um, and we're going to see a lot of diversity in his topics in Always in God's Hands in this daily devotional. Give me your personal hopes. Um, someone picks this up. What do you want for them spiritually? Man, I love that question because that's that's the burden of the project is is not this I love the academic discussion we're having um I write about Edwards try to at a scholarly level I wrote the the entry on heaven for example in the Jonathan Edwards encyclopedia published with Erdman's just a year ago edited by Harry Stout so that's 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 Edwardsiana <laughs> meaning the community of scholars who focus on Edwards mm-hmm. uh distilled in book form the Jonathan Edwards encyclopedia so uh, man that was that's a big assignment to write on heaven in Edwards. Um, so I love that scholarly dimension, uh, that scholarly realm that I'm calling Edwardsiana that you can feel free to enter. It's, it's a rich and fertile place. But really why I love Edwards is because his God is so big and his vision of Christianity is so enthralling. Christianity for Edwards is not about me it's not about fundamentally my felt needs. Um, Edwards does not have a small little God who's kind of a, a genie-like figure who gives you what you want. Edwards's God is grand and awesome and unrestrained in his perfections, and Edwards banked his life on that vision of God being what Christians most needed. And that is what I am banking on in this book, in Always in God's Hands. In other words, I'm simply trying to be faithful to Scripture and then secondarily to the, the testimony, the witness of my brother, Jonathan Edwards, and say, 21st century Christians, we need this big God theology as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we face sin on a daily basis. We battle temptation. We're um, encouraged to be anxious and narcissistic and politically divided and self-righteous and 10,000 other things. Mm. What we most need for our daily lives is a big God, to see the big God of Scripture. And so always in God's hands attempts to point readers to this theologian who had that vision of God uh, and, and then to make good on that vision in our own daily lives. That's the burden of the project. So in sum... Uh, to bring it all together, it's my hope that the reader will come away from reading this devotional with a bigger vision of God, and that will in turn equip them to live a bigger life, uh, meaning that they will see life in a God-centered way. It's not that difficulties will go away. It's not that they will be zapped if they just pick up this devotional and never sin again. It is that they will be encouraged to grow in maturity and love of God, and, uh, and they will see the Lord transform them as they encounter this awesome God who strangely is veiled so often, not only in our culture, but even in evangelical circles. Mm. Well, yeah, let me add my hopes to that. I, I encourage 
uh, readers to to get connected to this, to look at some of the other resources we talk about for sure. Mm. But start here. Enjoy this. If you're familiar with Edwards uh, and you want just a little uh, spritz of that every day and mm. think on, or if this is kind of waiting in for you, um, that big God is, is still here, mm. and uh, Edwards is still talking about him, and it's still relevant today. Okay. And uh, Owen, you do a great job of bringing that to bear on us today. So thank, thank you so you. much for being on the podcast. Thanks a ton for having me, Travis. Mm-hmm.